Are you a new or aspiring woman leader that wants to make a successful leap into leadership? Do you want to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so that you can become the kind of leader other people want to follow? Welcome to The Leadership Leap, a show that is all about helping women to become more confident about making the leap into leadership. Now, here is your host, Leanne Pico. Hi there. Welcome to The Leadership Leap. I am Heather Nelson, and I'm the guest host this week, filling in for Leanne Pico. And today, we are focusing on the nonprofit sector and what it takes to start a nonprofit and being a leader in the sector with my guest, Michael Prosserman. You may recognize my name from a previous episode. I am the Money Talk Coach. And on December 12th, I was on the episode where we talked about money mindset and all of my comfort talking about money. There were some great lessons in that episode, recognizing how money affects your compensation and the roles you take on. And so if you want to hear more about that conversation, uh, it again was the December 12th episode of Leadership Leap, and you can find that on any of your favorite podcast providers. So while I do love talking about money, uh, of course, that's not all I'm about. Uh, A great day in my world involves getting up early and having a big cup of coffee and some quiet reflection before my son gets up. I'm pretty sure some of you are rolling your eyes right now about that getting up early thing. I actually thought a couple of years ago that it was impossible for me as well. I had never been a morning person, but I started listening to podcasts and different things and they were all recommending like this time for reflection. So one day I decided it was time to try it. And I have to say that I started small. My, my goal when I started was just get up out of bed and I could stare off into space and drink a cup of coffee. Now, I must admit, I use it for more meaningful stuff. And, um, uh, but there's some days I still just do the minimum. So I do think it starts me up for a better day. And as we start this new year, maybe this might just be an idea for you. So I'm throwing it out there uh, for all of you guests here today. Maybe you might want to try adding some reflection time into your day. Uh, Once I have my coffee and get my son off to school, I get started on my day as a fundraising consultant. I have my own business called Bridge Raise. And every day I am very lucky that I have the privilege to work with incredible fundraisers. And I help them raise money for companies from for from companies for causes they care about. Uh, just yesterday, I was working with uh, one of my clients, Michelle, and she is also a founder of a small organization. Um, and we were talking about the messaging and opportunities that she had between her nonprofit and potential sponsors. Our conversation really focused on all the different skills that she needs in her toolkit to leverage bringing in revenue uh, for her organization, all at the same time as doing the core work of her organization. So I'm really sure that today Michael is going to have a ton of stuff on a similar track to share with us. So we are going to get started talking about a nonprofit and leading a nonprofit and starting a nonprofit. I want to let you know this show is for you if you're thinking about starting a nonprofit, but it is also for you if you want to learn about ways to uplevel your leadership inside the nonprofit you work at 
And let's say that none of those are on your radar. The nonprofit sector is not on your radar. Not to worry. I know that the lessons that Mike has and has learned through his career are going to inspire you and give you some great ideas for your own career. So without further delay, I'd like to introduce our guest, Mike Prosserman. He founded uh, he found his passion for breakdancing at a very young age, and by the time he was three, Mike was already standing on his head while watching Saturday morning cartoons. Mike is a professional speaker who specializes in team, culture, succession, and startups. He is the founder of Unity Charity, an organization using hip-hop to improve youth mental health and well-being. Mike built Unity from the ground up over 15 years out of his passion for hip-hop and mental health. By high school, Mike was accepted into Cirque du Soleil and was featured on the major motion picture, Honey. Since then, he has had the privilege to share his story, perform, and facilitate for hundreds of audiences. Mike speaks from lived experience, bringing practical and innovative approach to coaching, consulting, and teaching. Mike grew Unity from a group of volunteers to employing 80 staff raising $7 million and having an impact on the lives of over 250,000 young people. He is also publishing a book called Building Unity, Leading a Nonprofit from Spark to Succession. Wow, I know we're all excited to hear more from Mike. So I'd like to welcome Mike to the show. Hi, Mike. Thank you for the warm welcome and thanks for the very generous introduction. I'm excited to be here. Oh, such an impressive story, even just hearing the highlights. I have to ask, you were clearly really young when you got started on this journey. Tell us a little bit about just those early days and, and why you just decided to start uh, Unity. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, when I was younger, um, my mom actually struggled with a pretty serious mental illness, and that was really tough as a young person growing up because I had to become a caregiver at a young age. And this really made mental health a big part of my life. And I always wanted to do something about it. And funny enough, when I was a teenager, kind of looking for an outlet or a way to express myself, I was a pretty quiet kid and didn't really express myself in a positive or negative way. I just sort of built it up. But then I found breakdancing or b-boying as we call it. And uh, it was just the perfect outlet for me to get rid of all the stress and anger that I had built up. And uh, by the time I was uh, a teenager, I decided, well, I actually want to share this gift with other young people because it had done so much for my life. So that led me to starting a high school class project that eventually became Unity, but at first was just an idea. And uh, we used hip hop to improve youth mental health and you know, 15 years later, it turned into this thing we never expected. So really, it was coming from an inspiration and a personal lived experience. And it turned into something I would never have imagined. Yeah, I mean, I think so often, um, these sorts of passion projects, people, you know, come from, for from a reason from something that's happened in their lives. And I, I, you know, I love that you share that. At the same time, lots of us have big experiences in our lives, and it doesn't turn into, you know, a $7 million organization that helps 250,000 young people. So, you know, there, there's a long, there's a long gap in that, you know, journey, obviously. Uh, At what point did you really, you know, think to yourself, you know, this is more than a class project, or, 
you know, sort of a volunteer thing I'm doing? Like, how did that, you know, how did that evolve? What, how did that happen for you? Honestly, it didn't really become that thing uh, overnight. It was literally doing one thing, one success after the next or one failure after the next. It was trying something that we believed in, learning if it was good, and then if it was continuing on and if it wasn't stopping it or changing it. And it was really uh, hard work and then putting in the hours. And I can give you an example. Um, like when we started our first after-school program, um, one of the artists said, hey, you do this one-day program, why not do a 12-week program for schools in priority neighborhoods? So we decided to launch one, uh, and it was a complete failure. And we had no students show up. And uh, instead of sort of turning around and saying, no, we're not going to do this, we said, how do we make it better? And we continued to improve on that idea until uh, we had not only great attendance, but uh, we were really building relationships with young people that uh, eventually we would see uh, go on to do incredible things with their lives and seeing that trajectory all from an idea, but not sort of accepting that failure the first time, knowing that it was a good idea to begin with that needed to be tweaked. So it's really, it was perseverance and, and hard work and also really reflecting when something wasn't going right. Uh, it didn't mean it could never go right. It meant that we needed to change our approach and listen to community and work with community to better understand their needs and needs of the youth uh, that we were working for. So um, we really tapped into that. And the, the artists who were the frontline workers of unity or are the frontline workers of unity are um, really the ones who weave that magic. And we brought everyone together to get their feedback on how we can make it better uh, from a community approach. We actually called it uh, back to the basement because we would hang out in a basement and just brainstorm how do we make this better how do we make this better uh, as a community and we built a movement from that and just kept working honestly uh, I never had a big vision or any of that stuff it was really one success and one failure after the other yeah I mean I, I love that you talk about that that concept of community as part of it I think uh, you know being the person that had the the passion at the beginning is is fantastic but acknowledging right from the start this idea of community I feel like that uh, you know must have been one of the really important factors to sort of propel uh, you into sort of a bigger organizational you know situation like you know finding the right people to 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 bring around you and to give you the feedback and to be a part of the successes and failures and that kind of thing yeah i'm a, i'm a big believer in building things from lived experience um and i sort of combined certain experiences in my life and uh brought together other people who had their experiences and and sort of weave those together to create something that that's never existed um Actually, this is in the book that, that I'm writing now around how do we make a more responsible impact. And I believe the place to start is working with the community that you're seeking to serve and not creating things for people, but with people. Um, it's such an important step that for some reason is, is often overlooked. And, you know, we bake these programs and, you know, on whiteboards and boardrooms, but we don't actually ask the people that we're serving or working with or working for what they actually want. And to me, that is like, there's a lot of good intentions that don't produce good results. So I'm 
positively critical of that. And I think I would never encourage someone not to do something when it comes to, um, you know, a social purpose organization. That being said, I would always encourage people to better engage our communities. You can always do better. You can always learn more. And if, you know, when we had that mentality, that's what made us uh, grow as an organization and grow uh, deep in our impact because we were always listening and we were always learning and we were always looking on how do we do better. Uh, and we were hard on ourselves, honestly. If I look back and said, what could I have done better? I would have been kinder to myself <laughs> but, and taken care of myself better. But uh, ultimately, that community engaged approach is, is pivotal because otherwise uh, you just kind of lose the focus. Like, why are you even doing this? Yes, I love that idea of of responsible impact. I think it's um, it's true that it is is often and actually in the smaller and more grassroots organizations, it's almost more baked in because because you're a part of you know you're you're doing all the things associated with the organization. It's easier for you to hear frontline feedback. Uh, and, you know, certainly you being with the young people that you were working with, um, I'm sure that that made it easier for you to, you know, see right away what was happening. And I do think you're right. Like sometimes in, in sort of, you know, bigger organizations or where the, the, the designers get further away from the people that they're serving, that, that um, communication can be uh, a bit, you know, bigger, more tenuous, and then you don't get that same feedback. And in in those cases, I mean, it's still very possible, right? It's just about being intentional about ensuring that you are meeting the people that you're you're intending to have a positive impact on, right? And you're and you're connecting with them in all the different ways that that is possible. Yeah, and not to get too deeply into that, but I also believe that the bigger organizations are even more responsible for going further out of their way to connect with the communities they say they're connecting with because, you know, they uh, they do have access to networks and resources as you get larger and uh, have more of those opportunities. But it's so important to bring in the grassroots and really connect with those communities you're seeing that you're connecting with because otherwise, you know, there is a limited amount of resources, especially in the nonprofit sector. So we have to be really conscious of the space we take up in the sector. And if we're not engaging communities effectively, you know, you know, some things naturally merge into other organizations or eventually even close down. So I won't get too into that topic, but it is something I strongly believe that, you know, we need to be conscious of the space we take up in the sector and how we're collaborating, engaging, uh, the people uh, who are serving community in an authentic and uh, directly engaged way where you can really see the impact. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty critical of that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, and it is a, it is a super important uh, element for sure, especially as people are thinking about starting a nonprofit. It is, you know, it's not just about the idea, it's about the impact you're going to have, about being responsible uh, in terms of that impact. And, you know, back to some, from a very practical perspective, if someone is starting a nonprofit or a program when they're in a non-pro- in a nonprofit in a role, then 
taking the time to engage the stakeholders is something that all of us can think about and and take you know personal ownership of. We're just uh, going to come up to a, a break in a second, so uh, we will come back after the break. And I'd love to delve a little bit more into um, the importance of relationship and and mentorship and how some of the lessons that you learned through uh, building unity uh, are lessons in leadership. Okay, so we'll be back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Hi there, this is Leanne Picot, the host of The Leadership Leap. Thank you for listening to the show. Before I stepped into my first leadership role, I wasn't sure about becoming a leader. I was worried I didn't have the skills or confidence to do it well. When I did move up, I always say that I attended the What Not To Do School of Leadership as I knew all the things I didn't want to do, but I was less clear about the kind of leader I wanted to be. So I had to learn that the hard way. That's why I created my online leadership program, also called The Leadership Leap. I help new and aspiring women leaders to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so you can avoid some of the mistakes I made and make a more successful leap into leadership. Through over 20 video lessons, monthly group coaching, and homework exercises that help you put the learning into action right away, you will discover who you are as a leader and learn how to inspire others. You will also be part of a growing community of other fabulous new and aspiring leaders just like you. Find out more and sign up to learn with me at theleadershipleap.net and use coupon code RADIO for an extra $100 off just for listening. Make the leap into becoming the kind of leader you most want to be. Hi there, this is Liam Picot, the host of The Leadership Leap. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Before I stepped into my first leadership role, I wasn't sure about becoming a leader. I was worried I didn't have the skills or confidence to do it well. When I did move up, I always say that I attended the What Not To Do School of Leadership as I knew all the things I didn't want to do, but I was less clear about the kind of leader I wanted to be. So I had to learn the hard way. That's why I created my online leadership program, also called The Leadership Leap. I help new and aspiring women leaders to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so you can avoid some of the mistakes I made and make a more successful leap into leadership. Through over 20 video lessons, monthly group coaching, and homework exercises that help you put the learning into action right away, you'll discover who you are as a leader and learn how to inspire others. You will also be part of a growing community of other fabulous new and aspiring leaders just like you. Find out more and sign up to learn with me at theleadershipleap.net and use coupon code RADIO for an extra $100 off just for listening. Make the leap into becoming the kind of leader you most want to be. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to The Leadership Leap with Leanne Pico. You can find out more about Leanne and the program at theleadershipleap.net. 
Don't forget that you can also send in your questions about all things leadership to Leanne at her email address, info at theleadershipleap.net, and we'll try to answer them on the show. Now, back to The Leadership Leap. Hi, we're back. And so for before the break, Mike and I were talking about uh, starting Unity and all the important um, elements of community and impact that were a part of getting the things rolling. I know that Mike and I are both really big on building a network and how important that is. And I thought maybe we could spend a little bit of time now, Mike, talking a bit about uh, how you used your network when you were building Unity, how you built the network that could make something like that happen and and just really, uh, you know, get you to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it was a huge part of what made Unity successful. And, you know, when people traditionally think about networks, they think about, like, I don't know, these weird events where you're passing out a business card awkwardly. And I really don't look at it that way. I actually, again, back to what we spoke about before, look at it as a much more community-engaged approach. And what that means is I would meet everyone and anyone who ever asked for my time, and I still do. And I think that's a big part of it. I would have a network of folks who, you know, spend all experiences and backgrounds, whether it be parents of kids from the program, whether it be principals, school board superintendents, you know, people who ran the corporate foundation at RBC, um, you name it. I was, you know, there to listen to them and listen to what they had to say and also share with them what we were doing in order to build excitement around the cause, um, as well as especially the frontline workers at Unity, the artists. That was the lifeblood of the organization. And, you know, if that was not growing and, you know, cool, then it wasn't relevant for the youth and they weren't showing up to the program. So to me, networking is beyond just awkwardly passing out business cards. In fact, I don't really subscribe to that form of networking that often personally, but I I don't disagree with it. It's more just uh, about giving people time and and really listening to what they have to say and and then sharing how excited we are about what we do. And from there, you know, beautiful things would happen. Yeah, I love that. I think, you know, in my experience, I'm also all about the network. I love I love having conversations with people. And I think I similarly think about it that way. I think about having conversations with people, sharing knowledge, learning from them, and not always having a really specific end in mind. I think that's an important thing, which kind of was underlying some of what you said there. Like, you didn't always know exactly where the end point was. And I, and I feel like you know, I have meetings and conversations with people and I don't necessarily know, are they going to be a client or a a friend or a mentor or what, uh, when I start the conversation and, you know, and I can't predict all the different touch points that may happen over our our lives. Uh, and that, and that doesn't matter. And I think that that's part of when you have a really rich network, it comes from having that kind of perspective on it that it's just you know it something is going to happen right like something will happen and you don't always have to know exactly what that is when you get going yeah absolutely like for me I um, really keep track of the relationships that I uh, reach out to and honestly it sounds bad but like some of the most random meetings I've ever had in my life have turned into the biggest opportunities that I never (laughs) could have expected so 
Like a good example is we got this email from someone who said they were from Italy and uh, it seemed like a spam email. It was like, you've been selected to come to Italy and, you know, bring five Unity artists and you need to respond next week. And, you know, one of those ones where it felt like, yeah, right. Um, and I responded within five minutes of receiving it. They happened to be in Toronto. So I met them face to face in a public place to ensure that it wasn't something even more, you know, questionable. And, uh, they, 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 it was real. And a week later they booked five tickets for our artists to go to a community in, uh, Italy on the Adriatic coast to do, um, workshops with families, men and women who have experienced uh, or who are, who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. And they uh, have this incredible facility called San, San Patriano, which is like uh, a social enterprise uh, that does some of the most incredible work I've ever seen in my life. But it all started, if you rewind it back, to this email, which was questionable at best, <laughs> you know, that I was just like, I'm going to respond to that. You reached out to me. I'm going to give you respect. You know, I'm not trying to convince you to respond to everyone who says, you know, sends you those emails that like, you've won a million dollars. But right. surprisingly, we went to Italy for five years after that and were able to exchange and learn from their community and also give and contribute. Um, and it was just this beautiful thing. So like the most random opportunity turned into one of the biggest opportunities for networking and learning uh, and exchange. So, you know, I'm really an advocate to give people time. You know, time is so valuable, not in a money sense, but like I, I really give people my energy and my all the love I have when I meet with them. And I also, you know, really tell people or and I've noticed as Unity grew, it's not what people, you know, are there to do for you. And like you, you mentioned sort of this not going in with some intention of getting something. But it's really what people say behind closed doors that matters. And if they're saying bad things behind closed doors, it matters. And if they're saying fantastic things behind closed doors, it matters. And, and the big thing that I learned is as we got bigger and our reputation grew, there were a lot of people vouching for us at decision-making tables that I didn't even know because they heard us speak in an event or, you know, I met with their, I don't know, their cousin to be a volunteer and I made the time for them and it was unexpected and we had a positive experience and now this person's, you know, parent is on the decision committee for the grant that we're applying for, you know, like these are the types of things you could never plan, but if you give your time generously um, and strategically at times, um, you just like, I could never have predicted the sort of snowball that we have created and it was really rolling down a hill faster than (laughs) eventually we could uh, keep up with. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, I think for people who are up and coming, it's it's funny that you shared your random story. I also have uh, my very first he- big corporate gift, at like three, you know, big, well bigger than I had ever expected, was also a random phone call from someone from Europe, which is such a funny alignment. But it was the same kind of thing. Like uh, a representative from a company, he lived in Germany, left this voicemail, and it was that same sort of thing. Like call us right by- back right now. We're looking for a charity for this multi-country event in Europe. Uh, you know, call. <laughs> And I, I was sitting there thinking, this is crazy. Uh, should I even call back? You know, the long distance fees alone might break this small charity that I'm working at. 
And I did. And similarly, like traveled through Europe with this great event, raised a lot of money for my organization. Uh, so, it, you know, you're right. Sometimes it is the most random things, but it does come from a place, as you've described, of, you know, not not always knowing the end and just giving time and listening and knowing that what could happen that you're not when you're not there is is an important part of of what you know what builds the momentum uh yeah, behind an organization happen, this is sorry to interrupt this didn't just happen to us once it happened to us again and again and again and again like we were getting checks for sixty five thousand dollars that we didn't even apply for and I was like, is this a mistake? And I called the funder and I'm like, I really hate to return this check to you because like we didn't apply for this money, but really need it right now. And they're like, no, no, we actually have a donor advised fund. And, you know, because you're doing good work in the community, someone recommended you. I'm like, cool. <laughs> like that was 10 yeah. years into it, right? This was not early on, but like I would never even imagine like this is just like unfathomable to me that someone would send a check. You're like, so this stuff was happening it took 10 years to build that reputation and it was built one interaction, one action at a time. But, um, it's such an important thing. And it's such a thing that like, I think we take for granted and, you know, it's good to be strategic. Don't get me wrong. And I, I really do agree with you that sometimes you just never know what you're going to get. If you just put yourself out there authentically and genuinely and, you know, get excited about what you're doing, uh, in front of a bunch of people. Yeah, it's, uh, I like that we've shifted a little bit to money, but I do want to, uh, because on one hand, we're both talking about these like dream scenarios. Uh, on the on the flip side, it's important to note that as you mentioned, that took 10 years for you to get to that dream scenario. So what was it like actually working as the founder and leader of, of this organization at the beginning? Like, did you have the financial stability to pay yourself? Did this feel like a legitimate, like, job? You know, wh- what was it like at that point, you know, from for, for people who are thinking, you know, maybe this is like an e- like an easy path, like, to start a charity and, and have a salary? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, I, I kind of call this, and again, going back to the book, this is a whole section on what I call the chicken and egg of growth. Like, how do you pay yourself when you have no money? <laughs> like, you know, I, I often encourage uh, social entrepreneurs, people who are interested in starting nonprofits or people who just have an idea and sort of want to make it happen in the world. Like, it sounds kind of bad, but don't quit your job, you know, until it's paying you enough to um, actually make that leap. I've heard people say the complete opposite of that. So, you know, this is a, obviously a contested point, but I think it's, from my perspective and in my situation, it's just wrong to put yourself in a situation where you can become at risk yourself in many ways if you're not making an income, uh, whether you have a family or whatever expenses you have to take care of in your life. So my view is build it on the side. I built Unity on the side for five years. And then by the end of that five years, we had such a strong reputation that we could sell it because we'd been around for five years and that's, we only started raising money after five years. Uh, so we were just building it on the side and, uh, you know, any performance we did, cause it was hip hop related and I'm a break dancer myself. So, you know, I would perform and, and any artist fees I'd get, that would be sort of my sidekick, you know, uh, while I was also studying at York university, uh, and working and, and doing that because at the end of the day, like, we, I wasn't even able to pay myself minimum wage until like the sixth year, which, uh, 
you know, it wasn't clearly for the money. And if you average my time at Unity over 15 years, unfortunately, even though I was paying myself properly towards the end, uh, you know, it averages out to less than minimum wage. So, you know, I would also advocate to pay yourself properly because if I could go back and do one thing, I wish I would have done that sooner um, when we did have the money and when that was coming in. But again, that didn't start happening. Uh, we got our first grant, I think, in the fifth or sixth year, uh, and then we hired three people at minimum wage. So uh, if that gives some perspective, I would say um, don't quit your job <laughs> unless you can. And, uh, you know, otherwise sort of wait until that moment where you have enough of a track record just trying it out to see if it's even worth raising money for, you know, like some ideas don't work out and that's okay. The only way you'll know is if you try, um, you know, so people are like, Oh, I have to register. I have to raise money. I'm like, just try your idea in a small way and see what happens. See what you learn, you know, do it twice, see what you uh, can improve. And then if it's like really gaining traction and the community is asking for it and you think you want to slowly start divesting your job a little bit, that's when we registered and got started applying for some money. But it, not until then. It was like, is this idea even worth growing? Yeah. It's a, re- it's a really good um, way of thinking about whether you're starting a small business or, or in, a, you know, in any avenue or a nonprofit you know, there is a, you can test a lot of things without, without dealing with a lot of trademarks and legals and stuff. You know, some, some cases it's important to deal with some of those. Uh, but you're, I think you're real, really right to say, you know, similar with entrepreneurship, right? Like you can, you can, ha- you know, try w- things with a couple of clients. Certainly that was my experience uh, when I first started my business. You know, I took a contract or two uh, and so tried to see, you know, is, is this, is this a viable business opportunity? Do people want to hire me with my experience specifically for corporate fundraising? And then, you know, once I started to get some traction, then I could make the decision about, am I going back and working at a charity in house or am I going to stay out on my own? And I think with the, with the idea of starting your organization as well, testing it out, making sure the impact was there, all those things before um, launching into the things that cost more, frankly, too, like the registration and employing people and have all those things uh, is is a really smart and thoughtful way of, you know, capturing the experience and, and thinking about, you know, advice for other people. Like these are some things to think about. You know, if if this, you know, starting something is is one of the tracks you're thinking about for employment, it, it is for most of us, you know, it requires some some definite testing and, and checking and making sure that the impact that you want to have is is there and for a financially viable under a financially viable model. So uh, it's good yeah. to you know, reflect on on that. All of those were part of of the puzzle as you as you um, got things going totally and as you say that it kind of reminds me of another thing that I again kind of the opposite of what people in the business world say so sometimes people say oh run your charity like a business I'm like cool I agree um, but in some ways I disagree you know and this is one of them which is um, fail slow not fast like everyone says fail fast 
And like, I don't, I just don't agree with that mentality because I never would have known unity was even worth growing if I failed fast because I failed fast early on. And, you know, we learned and invested ourselves in this idea that we so believed in. And only after about the third year did we realize that this had potential. So like, if I failed too fast and just sort of throw out the idea and didn't invest myself into it in the right ways, it never would have succeeded. So I, I really say fail slow, but thoughtfully and okay. while self-reflecting all along the way. Um, and it, it's really... Oh, sorry, sorry, Michael, nine. I don't want to cut you off there. I just want to, we have to take another break. So I love the idea we've covering a failure. I want to talk a bit more about failure when we come back after the break, because there's so much learning in making mistakes. Sounds great. Okay. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Hi there, this is Leanne Picot, the host of The Leadership Leap. Thank you for listening to the show. Before I stepped into my first leadership role, I wasn't sure about becoming a leader. I was worried I didn't have the skills or confidence to do it well. When I did move up, I always say that I attended the What Not To Do School of Leadership as I knew all the things I didn't want to do, but I was less clear about the kind of leader I wanted to be. So I had to learn that the hard way. That's why I created my online leadership program, also called The Leadership Leap. I help new and aspiring women leaders to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so you can avoid some of the mistakes I made and make a more successful leap into leadership. Through over 20 video lessons, monthly group coaching, and homework exercises that help you put the learning into action right away, you will discover who you are as a leader and learn how to inspire others. You will also be part of a growing community of other fabulous new and aspiring leaders just like you. Find out more and sign up to learn with me at theleadershipleap.net and use coupon code RADIO for an extra $100 off just for listening. Make the leap into becoming the kind of leader you most want to be. Hi there, this is Liam Picot, the host of The Leadership Leap. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Before I stepped into my first leadership role, I wasn't sure about becoming a leader. I was worried I didn't have the skills or confidence to do it well. When I did move up, I always say that I attended the what not to do school of leadership as I knew all the things I didn't want to do, but I was less clear about the kind of leader I wanted to be. So I had to learn the hard way. That's why I created my online leadership program, also called The Leadership Leap. I help new and aspiring women leaders to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so you can avoid some of the mistakes I made and make a more successful leap into leadership. Through over 20 video lessons, monthly group coaching, and homework exercises that help you put the learning into action right away, you'll discover who you are as a leader and learn how to inspire others. You will also be part of a growing community of other fabulous new and aspiring leaders just like you. Find out more and sign up to learn with me at theleadershipleap.net and use coupon code RADIO for an extra $100 off just for listening. Make the leap into becoming the kind of leader you most want to be. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to The Leadership Leap with Leanne Pico. You can find out more about Leanne and the program at theleadershipleap.net. Don't forget that you can also send in your questions about all things leadership to Leanne at her email address, info at theleadershipleap.net, and we'll try to answer them on the show. Now, back to The Leadership Leap. Hi, it's Heather here, still filling in for Leanne, and I'm talking to Mike. And just before the break, we were talking about uh, failures and the lessons you can learn from them. And I have to say, if there's one thing I've learned through my career, that it's the mistakes that teach us the big ones, the big learnings, and probably the most important things for developing our leadership skills. So, Mike, I'd love it if you shared, um, you know, a story of failure that really, you know, taught you the, you know, some big stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many stories of failure. So, like, I mean, I've heard people say, oh, reframe failure as learning. And I, and I really do believe that because, you know, all the best things I've learned have been through either screwing something up or um, almost screwing something up and learning right before that I need to change something or create something that didn't exist for Unity. So one story uh, that stands out to me because it was the most painful, uh, I always believed that we needed to build our programs and have quality programs. And I also believed in order to sustain those programs, we needed to raise enough money. So to me, every time we increase programs, we had to increase money, increase programs, increase money, increase programs, increase money. The one thing I wasn't keeping track of, I was, I love budgets, but I wasn't as sophisticated as I need to be was in finance. So we had some basics in finance, but we hadn't really sort of grown into our shoes in terms of how sophisticated we need to be at the time. Uh, and what happened was we had a grant, um, two grants with a major funder and uh, they asked us, they actually audited us and we're like, Oh, it's great. Our grant writer will submit the report with our finance person. And we submitted it. And I sort of said, Hey, Maybe I'll review that after they submitted it because, you know, our team was getting so empowered that they were just doing the work. And I looked at it and we'd actually completely messed it up and we mixed up two grants because QuickBooks exported it um, automatically in one bucket, where it was actually in two buckets. So to go back to the auditor from the funder and say, we lied to them (laughs) unintentionally, Mm -hmm. but directly you submitted that report and the report pretty much said that. So I lost a night of sleep. Then I met the auditor uh, of this major funder who had given us well over a million dollars. Like it's not a small funder. And um, they were very forgiving. And after that moment, we developed a finance committee on our board. We had check signing authority. We had a delegation of authority. We had finance forms and all this stuff that we introduced, policies. So that would never happen again. But that is one of those moments I just had to learn the hard way, I guess. Like I could never have predicted it, but... If I could go back, I would have invested more time and energy in, you know, upgrading our finances as we were growing because, man, that was, that was stressful. (laughs) Yeah, that's a super tough lesson. And I mean, any of the lessons 
that escape the the confines of your like organization in particular. I feel like those ones are are extra painful, uh, but a good good lesson to learn. And I mean, one of the things I really love that I heard in what you just said there was that you created system change um, around that mistake. I think some entrepreneurs and some leaders may have been tempted to say, I should do this now. I should, my mistake was empowering others and not controlling it. And I really, really respect that you said, you know, I looked at all these different systems. I didn't think, you didn't immediately think to yourself, hey, why wasn't I in charge of that? Why did I, you know, give up that responsibility? Uh, Because that is a tempting that's a tempting, you know, road to take, I think. Absolutely. I used to be, when I started, a pretty intense micromanager, but then I learned that trusting and empowering people was by far the best way to create something that's way bigger than you. You know, I, we couldn't grow the organization until we had the team and actually gave them the keys to the car so they could drive it and, you know, bump up the bumper and, you know, have to fix it themselves. Because if I had to co-sign every decision, which I did in the beginning, but eventually let go of, uh, we wouldn't have gotten as big as we did. You know, uh, we are here talking at least to some emerging leaders, and I feel like for them, you know, getting the keys to the car is such an important thing, right? And maybe uh, in some organizations, something that people struggle with. Do you have any tips on how you can you know, ask for more responsibility from, uh, you know, someone that, you know, might have, might have the keys as like, you know, how did the people get that responsibility from you? Yeah, to me, it's all about trust. Uh, When I grew up, my dad had one one rule and the rule was there are no rules. So (laughs) this might be kind of hard to understand, but I trust people too much. But if you don't trust if your boss doesn't trust you, they're not going to give you the keys to the car. So like, how can you gain that trust? It's different for everyone. For me, it was um, really, I wanted to take care of the organization. So I wouldn't give up the keys because I thought if I gave them up, something bad would happen. But what I learned was by truly empowering people and they proved it to me that they do a way better job than I would do anyways. So, you know, really asking for permission to, not have someone second eyes look at it or not have the person in the room while you do the pitch or whatever it is, that little step where you can prove yourself. And when you prove yourself, you know, hopefully your boss or sees that, or if you're in a position of power, let go of that responsibility to someone, give it to someone. It's the most empowering thing that, you know, it's so hard to explain, but it, it really retains employees because they actually are invested in their jobs and they believe that they're trusted and they, you know, they have autonomy, like even in terms of our health, like there's studies to show that uh, if we have autonomy in our jobs and control, I feel a sense of control, we're much more likely to be, have a lower cardiovascular disease, believe it or not. Like there's statistics that show that. So like this is not only an empowering thing and the right thing to do and the better thing for business, but it's also better for our health uh, and our mental health, of course. So I would say just ask them to trust you. (laughs) You know, it sounds kind of blunt, but just get that trust in any way you can and show and prove, prove yourself, you know, like, and, and uh, hopefully one piece at a time, they'll let go of that power 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think asking is a big part of it. It, it. You have to, in some cases, I mean, there's some natural leaders that, w- that we can work for and they empower uh, naturally. But for those who, for whatever reason, don't, and maybe something has happened in their lived experience um, that's different, uh, you know, asking, I think, can really start a conversation and, and, you know, chunk it out so that, you know, you don't, you don't ask for the, maybe the whole car right away. <laughs> you know, there may be some some, some steps along the way too to prove and gain the trust and to demonstrate your skills and 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 that kind of thing. So I like I like that a lot. Um, we're we're getting near the end here, so I just wanted to make sure um, people uh, know um, uh, about uh, how to get in touch with you, what else you're up to right now, so that they can find out more about Mike and your story. Yeah, thanks. I spent the last three years writing this book, and the book is a journal of all the stories and lessons. Like, I'm literally pulling these stories from the book as I tell them to you, and my, I put my whole heart and soul into this thing. So the one sort of request is if you want to really learn about me and what I'm doing, if you check out my website at www.epicleadership.ca and subscribe, uh, the book is coming out in fall 2020, published by ECW Press, and it's really just it's my whole life. <laughs> I, I can't even say it better than that. I mean, it's all about how to make a responsible impact, but it's really framed through storytelling and it's not a how-to guide. It's not a do this, do that. It's not telling people what to do. It's really through my own experience. So I really hope uh, to get it in the people's hands who are interested in, you know, taking an impact idea and putting it into the world because we need more people doing stuff to better the world because it's just, it, it's, it's just so tragic how it's getting worse and worse and worse. So uh, I really hope uh, if you're interested, check out the website, www.epicleadership.ca, and feel free to get in touch. I run all sorts of capacity-building programs for nonprofits because I really care about the leaders in the sector because, in my opinion, this is one of the hardest-working and most underappreciated sectors uh, that's out there. So, um, yeah, that, that's what I'm up to, and some of the stuff that I'm really caring about these days. Thanks so much, Mike. I don't know about everybody listening, but I for sure am really looking forward to reading Mike's book and learning even more from someone who has done something that many of us dream of doing. So thank you so much. Um, Talking to Mike uh, has brought up so many important lessons for me uh, from my time working with charities founded by passionate, committed leaders. I have been very fortunate to work with uh, leaders like Mike and uh, it has been such a privilege, you know, when you're surrounding yourself with people that that have that kind of passion for what they're doing, it, it really feels so fantastic. A couple of lessons I thought um, I might pull out for you that I learned from today and from my experience as well. Uh, relationships, you know, build them, uh, not, not always knowing where the end is. Uh, there are different ways to fill your passion. So you can get started slow by doing, uh, testing out an idea with volunteerism or maybe starting a program at the organization you're at. I actually know an exceptional leader who built a fundraising event uh, and she raises money through a fundraising event for 
a larger charity that she cares about. And that's sort of a side thing for her. So there's lots of different ways you can do this. Um, and uh, I hope you consider the nonprofit sector and some of these neat lessons that we have learned today. Uh, because I am a money person, and I do want to reflect on that part, as you heard from Mike, starting a nonprofit is not easy from a financial point of view. It could take many years. It, is, it can be a long road. And so it is important to plan and budget and think about that as you go on the road of building that funding. So one of my big takeaways for today is have a plan. Thank you, Mike, uh, for such an awesome show today. And a special thank you to Leanne Pico for giving me this opportunity. It has been such a pleasure for me to speak with you today. She will be back next week hosting another great show on leadership. But in the meantime, if you want to meet up with Leanne, you can do so at leadershipleap.net. I'd also love to connect with all of you You to continue this conversation uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Heather Nelson 12, or you can learn more about my approach to supporting charities at bridgeraise.com. Uh, I give out free stuff for people who are building corporate relationships with charities on my site. If you haven't heard our previous shows, you can look them up on the Leadership Leap on your favorite podcast providers. I have had such a Fun time today with my conversation with Mike. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, until uh, next time, I look forward to um, speaking with you again. Uh, Have a great day. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us this week for the Leadership Leap. Liam Pico invites you to tune in for another engaging program next Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll help you make a successful leap into leadership. 